you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant. Still masking, socially distancing, waiting for the shot, all that good stuff. As we've been doing for a year plus now, joined as always by producer Steve and a special guest today. Uh, I am not going to wait to introduce this guy. You know him from Yahoo Sports. <laughs> he is one of the smartest, most creative, most innovative people, innovative people, I should say, in the fantasy industry. More importantly, he's my friend. I am proud to call this man a friend. So uh, I am always excited to have Matt Harmon on the show. What's going on, pal? You know, uh, that number one, that was way too nice of an intro, but uh, I can't believe, Marcus, that I have been a guest on this podcast for a company that I, I no longer work for <laughs> two times in the last year, and I've only seen you once over the last year. Like, that is yeah. that is the twist of all twists here uh, in 2020 slash 2021. You know, basically this whole year feels like it's one thing together, but thank you so much for having me on, man, and uh, I am glad that we did just recently see each other for yeah. uh, your 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 i mean handsome stud of a son's <laughs> second birthday yeah it was great it was great to see you and brie out there we uh, did a socially distanced beach party a beach extravaganza uh for the boy child for him turning two and uh, it was it's weird because and i said this to you i said this to alex wilk and a lot of folks who were out there that like we talk all the time like on slack yeah. and text message or whatever so like you sort of forget that you haven't seen these people in person uh, in a really long time. So it was nice to get together and, uh, you know, share an adult beverage and talk and, you know, be face to face for once. Um, so yeah, cool. We, by the way, I think we still have some burritos in the fridge. I can just, I can drive by and throw one into your yard. You, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. One. Just get it over the gate. If you can just get it over the gate from your Sweet. car, that'll be great. Yeah. Sweet. We'll, uh, we'll make that happen. <laughs> Um, first thing I should want to ask you before we dive in, because I, I, you know, when I have you on, I always want to talk wide receivers because that is your stock in trade. Um, but before we dive into that, I think probably by the time this podcast gets released, uh, if not, you know, probably shortly thereafter, I think the league will have ratified the official 17 game regular season schedule. Oh, man. Um, I, I just want to gotta get your thoughts on it. I mean, for us, that means so we were always holding on to the, hey, don't play week 17 in fantasy, does this mean we have to push it back? Is it now don't play week 18? I mean, what, what does this mean for us? Probably. I, I think, I think the answer to that question, probably all the questions about that is like sort of a, yeah, maybe I think so. Cause this really is uncharted territory. I mean, I don't know about you, Marcus, but I feel like I'm going to be saying, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll probably go eight and eight, you know, for the next <laughs> decade, even though now it's, I, and I, I actually kind of hate that part of this is not like a nuanced fantasy take whatsoever, but that is probably the thing that bothers me the most about it is like, you know, the, there's no longer balance to the force basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Like eight <laughs> and eight, the Jeff Fisher of, of football seasons like that, that is a good balance of, yeah, you're just very middle of the road, mediocre. Like now our, like our, the, our entire lexicon about like records and, and who teams are have to change. I saw um, Neil Greenberg for, from the Washington post who I, I used to work for a hundred years ago. Now it feels like he was talking to just about like, um, you know, a thousand like what is a thousand yard season worth in a 17 game schedule mm. as opposed to a 16 game schedule and i'm like i'm not really even ready to, to i wasn't even really <laughs> ready to think about that right like oh great a guy gets a thousand yards like i've always been like that's a pretty decent measure of success even if obviously uh there's more passing than ever uh, still it, i don't know my my entire brain hasn't really wrapped around the change yet at this point uh but it's coming it's going to be here and you know in some ways I hate to say it, but it's like more football is good, right? Like it, that that can in this situation just just tack one more on. I'm sure it'll be it'll be <laughs> fine and no big deal. I mean, I think I think the trade off is going to be you know we will have less preseason to worry about and then more regular season, yeah. which I think is going to be fine. Um, you know, I think we I know for us we get to a point when you get to you know August where. 
you know, I run out of takes. So like I need actual football to to replenish my my takeometer, takeometer, whatever. Um, and so two, with preseason, with preseason, it's always like that first, you know, you know how it is. And like, especially working at NFL again, feels like a thousand years ago, like all of us together <laughs> and like all the TVs are on when the first preseason week arrives. I'm not talking about the Hall of Fame game because everyone knows that's kind of weird or whatever. But like that first week of preseason when there's all these games kicking off, you start to get that like adrenaline rush of just like, oh, it's guys like out on the field in helmets, in uniforms. And like Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are talking about it as this, as if it is the second coming. You know, it's this giant deal that we should all be excited about. And then – about 15 minutes into the game, you're like, all right, I, I'm not, I don't want to, watch this. I don't care. I don't care about this, but then you've got to put up with that for three more weeks. Plus that game that's still going on. So I think if we can get past that, like maybe just shorten that process, I'm, I'm okay with it. I do like a little bit of preseason. I felt like that was one thing that was lacking from the pandemic adjusted season that I kind of missed like there, there are certain portions of like OTAs and stuff like that. I think the players will be happy to see that go by the wayside. And, and I'm okay with that too, especially the veteran guys, but some preseason games to like see these guys, you know, getting deployed or just even just like that early glimpse of players. um, I I do think that was, was lacking a little bit last year. So some level of preseason I'm excited to have back, but I don't need the four weeks uh, at this point anymore. No, definitely don't need that. Um, You know, I look, we, we get that first quarter or two when you get, you know, the guys that, you know, uh, are going to be relevant and you see them play and what have you. But, you know, the moment Nick Chubb decides he's taking off the pads for the rest of the day, it's like, all right, well, I can I can go do yeah. something else now pretty much. <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, this, is, this is definitely going to be a new world for all of us as we kind of get through this 17-game season. By the way, you talked about, you know, a 1,000-yard season in 17 games. That basically is about 59 rushing yards per game. That's not great. <laughs> not that great, right. Not that, not that great. great. So a thousand yard season is probably meaning less and less, but we'll still hold on to it because we love big round numbers and that's uh that's what's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah. Um all right. I, I gotta ask because I, I want to talk wide receivers, like I said with you, because you are you are sort of the person that I kind of measure a lot of my evaluations with. Like when I when I have a take on a wide receiver and you have a similar take, uh I feel a little bit more confident. Um, we have disagreed. We have disagreed on things. We will continue to disagree on things, but I know when I, when you and I align, then I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm at least, I at least kind of know what I'm talking about here. So, um, because you've been doing this, I mean, for you, when you are, are looking at a guy, what matters and what doesn't for you when evaluating receivers? Yeah, this is probably the answer that people don't want to hear, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know like, one of the things that doesn't matter for you, but I'm going to let you kind of answer this. <laughs> well, I think like Marcus, I, I you know, five years ago, I would have said, yeah, drops are the thing that d- doesn't matter to me. But now I almost like think nothing matters. And that, that sounds like way more um, like that sounds way more nihilistic than I mean it to, to sound. But originally when I started – yeah, right. Eat your Arby's. Get that roast beef sandwich in. But like when I first started charting wide receivers at this point now, like eight years ago uh, for reception perception and um, really like starting to publish the content like seven years ago at this point, um, my my thought process behind doing it was that – and you know this and all your listeners know this and everybody that watches football inherently knows this – is that wide receiver production is so – dependent on other variables other things have to go right to the point that now that I've like looked at these receivers and tried to you know with reception perception isolate them as much as possible from outside variables and just focus on their individual play the one thing that they can control is how often they get open how often they run good routes and present that reasonable target to a quarterback and that's another thing too that I I think targets will always matter because a target for the most part is an indication that the quarterback feels you did your job correctly. Like you did enough on this play to earn the target. Or if you're just getting a ton of targets, the team and the quarterback and the front office and everybody agrees you're good, right? Like we want to throw you the ball because you're good for the most part year over year. uh, Targets are stable because I think talent for the most part is stable. Um, But when it comes to stats, like catch rate, um yards per target even like yards per reception every you're welcoming in all of these other variables uh whether it's the quarterback play like the offensive line giving the quarterback enough time so i think what matters is obviously volume because i think volume is is an indicator of talent i'm more bullish on that than ever but i've almost become more um 
radicalized by like watching <laughs> wide receivers and trying to measure them as individual players without the influence of other variables that basically almost, you know, most of the stats that evaluate the position. Um, and you could, you could take this to other positions as well too, because the same is true for running backs, right? Like uh, yards per carry is, is not a, is not a running back stat. It's a, it's a team stat. Almost everything in football, you're, you're counting on the 10 other guys on, on your offense to do their job right just in order to get that one, two, three, four, five yards or whatever. So I would say I've become more like radical in my beliefs that just stats do not do a good job of eval. Of course they matter for fantasy because we're trying to score fantasy points <laughs> and there's more than just talent that goes into it. But in terms of like evaluating players for at the NFL level, I just really don't care about uh, almost any other statistical profile except like how to measure them as individual talents. So you talk about targets and, you know, and basically all the, the moving parts that go into this. I know we like to say that certain guys are quarterback proof, right? I mean, uh, I mean, I guess if there's in, in, an example, uh, you know, it was one of, one of your first early hits in Allen Robinson, right? I mean, he seems, yeah. he seems quarterback proof simply for the fact that he's never really had a good one that he's worked with. Yeah. I mean, is that is that really a thing? Is there really such a guy, a, a, such a player as a quarterback proof wide receiver? Or is it just something that we just sort of uh, we have coined? Because I know we tend to wish we wish cast a lot of things. Um, yes, is it really did. a thing or or is it, you know, is it just us kind of maybe lowering our expectations for somebody? Well, I guess the the like baseline answer is no, there's no quarterback proof wide receiver because of exactly what I just said, which is they're depend if you're just talking about like being able to produce numbers and obviously then fantasy points and everything like that, yeah, you're going to have to have some some level of cooperation from the quarterback, right? Like you need that guy to do his job at at a baseline level in order to produce. Uh I think that you know, no one's ever going to say this, but I think it, it needs to be said about the Bears coaching staff. Like, I'm going to say something nice about Matt Nagy here, which most <laughs> folks don't want to do. But I actually think if there's one thing that this coaching staff in Chicago has done really well with Allen Robinson, it's putting him in positions to be relatively quarterback proof from a from a production standpoint. You see that they've lined him up in, in the slot a lot more in Chicago than they did in Jacksonville. He runs. Everybody wants to talk about Michael Thomas as like a slant boy or whatever, but um, they've, which is, by the way, objectively hilarious. It's it's an objectively good bit that clearly seems to bother Michael Thomas. And usually, if your bit is bothering the person it's about, it's it means you've, you've, it's a good bit. You've you've hit on something. That's why the West Virginia bit was always good. I was going to throw in West Virginia. It, yeah, you know? Yes, because it clearly bothered me. So that means you've hit on something there. That's good stuff. <laughs> so the, the slant boy thing is objectively hilarious, but like that is one way to make sure your quarterback um, doesn't have to do as much to get the ball to that great wide receiver. Uh, the Falcons have done that with Julio over the years. The Bears have done that with Allen Robinson. Um, I remember, you know, when people would put up the numbers of like DeAndre Hopkins with backup quarterbacks, which was basically like every quarterback he played with in Houston before Watson and like uh, Antonio Brown with backups when big Ben would, would, would go out of the games or whatever, which was, which was quite often, but you know, it's not as, I think the key there is like, what type of routes are they having a B run? We know he was always a downfield guy for Pittsburgh as that top X receiver. Uh, and, and I think that's the biggest is the biggest key to it is not necessarily from like a talent perspective, basically any great wide receiver can produce, but they have to be put in good positions to do that. And I think Chicago has, since you brought up the Robinson example is actually a pretty good case study for, you know, they took a guy in Robinson who in with the Jacksonville Jaguars was running a lot of downfield routes, always getting press coverage, always, um, facing those top outside cornerbacks, they've moved him around, put him in favorable positions a lot more. And then it's just like, yeah, of course he doesn't have great quarterbacks, but the last two years he's produced really well, despite that to the point that, you know, we all want him to play with a great quarterback just because I think it, he deserves it. Right. Like it's a thing that should happen, <laughs> but how much more could he actually produce in an offense like in green Bay across from a Devonte Adams? It's, it's worth wondering because he actually has put up really good numbers with those bad quarterbacks. And I think there's some credit that needs to be given to the coaching staff, uh, making him quote quarterback proof in that way. And I think, but I think you, you also hit on another thing too. And I say this a lot with draft prospects. When you look at a guy, you know, like last year, the thing being, Hey, Jonathan Taylor doesn't catch the football. Right. And I, I always respond with, look, just because, 
we've never seen a guy do a certain thing doesn't mean that player can't do a certain thing, right? And you talk about yeah. Allen Robinson going from being a downfield guy to more of a slot guy. Uh, it was a thing you pointed out uh, not that long ago about Nelson Aguilar, right? That he was mm-hmm. sort of the underneath guy. He was the the short, high percentage, you know, reception guy in Philadelphia. He goes to the Raiders and he ends up taking that downfield role that we all thought was going to belong to Henry Ruggs. Right. He, th- he thrived in it. I mean, we, we certainly never thought, I mean, look, man, the, the meme was about, you know, catching babies, right? And like, we certainly would have imagined <laughs> Nelson Aguilar was going to be a downfield threat, but but here he was. So I do think that too with, you know, say we go back to Michael Thomas and the whole slant just, boy yep, argument, yep, right? He's slant boy now because that's all the Saints really have asked him to do and needed him to do. And he's excelled at that. I do sort of wonder is he still slant boy if you know if it's Jameis Winston, for instance, that wins the starting quarterback job? I mean, I, I can envision a world where Michael Thomas is a little bit more than slant boy because we know Jameis is going to stand back there and just rip YOLO balls all day. You, yeah. You're not going to have you're not going to have Michael Thomas wasting his talents running slants with Jameis Winston at quarterback, right? Yeah, I think when you look at you know his reception perception results like some of the route trees I've put out for Thomas in um, 2018 2019 I haven't looked at 2020 yet and of course like it's it's much more of an injury riddled season but like I think he can win downfield that's actually why I liked Thomas a lot as a prospect coming out because he got this sort of big possession receiver um, label put on him but you could clearly see at Ohio State him winning against press coverage on the outside downfield and you know his numbers so far in that regard uh in the NFL have been really good again when you're just looking at him from an individual standpoint because are they asking him to run a lot of slant routes like I think because I think you can get in trouble with this this line of thinking because you know for example Duke Johnson everybody's favorite like oh if they just gave him a featured back <laughs> job well at some point multiple coaching staffs have decided they're not going to give him a feature back job Maybe there's a reason for that. Um, Derrick Henry, a guy, you know, I love Derrick Henry, but there's been multiple coaching staffs at this point that decided they're not going to make him a part of the passing game. <laughs> is is that just a is, – is, is there a reason for that? Like I think you have to ask yourself the question. But with Thomas specifically, are they asking him to just run slant routes, high percentage patterns because of him or because of the fact that Drew Brees was, you know, I think rapidly declining over the last couple of years. So you have to ask yourself those questions. I do. And this is where I think studying players from an individual perspective, actually watching them play beyond just the targets that they're getting, you know, what about the rest of the routes that they're running? Cause the receiver Marcus is lucky to get like 10 targets in a game, but we know they're running upwards of like 30 something routes. So what are they doing on all of those other plays and how can that be part of the evaluation process? And I think when you look at Thomas, I, I that's why I'm not a big Jameis Winston fan. Like I, I don't particularly enjoy watching uh, games in which Jameis Winston is the quarterback, but I actually can't wait to see this relationship develop because I think it's going to answer a lot of questions about Michael Thomas and Thomas at this point, like I bet you he'll be a value at, at the wide receiver position this year, because not just because of the injuries that he's coming off of, but because of the quarterback questions and the fact that there's just a ton of receivers um, this year, like he was going as wide receiver one or two last year. Mm-hmm. You can't even, you, you can't even really conceivably put him in the top seven this year, but if Winston and him hit together, it should be a fun year for him. I mean, we did a mock draft. This is, you know, over a month ago now, but I, I was surprised. He, he fell to, I think, the third or fourth round, something like that, which which blew my mind. I mean, I expected him to fall a little bit. I didn't think he would last that long, but I do think you're right. If Look, if it's, if it's Seamus Winston, I feel a lot better about it than if it's Taysom Hill that takes yeah. the quarterback <laughs> spot. I mean, I think that, that sort of goes without saying. Um, yeah. We also talk about wide receivers and how deep the position is. And this is something I've, you know, I've asked you this in Slack, and I just want to get your, your public thoughts on this because like, I, I don't know the answer. I'm just more, you know, as they say, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> is, it that, is it that wide receiver really is deep in terms of talent, or is it just that teams are so pass happy and so many teams run three and four, even five wide receiver sets that there's just a lot of them that we have a lot of options. Like, is it truly deep or there's just a lot, if you know what I'm saying? I think it's a little bit of both. I think this is a situation where hashtag both things can be true. Like it, there's definitely more wide receiver options available than ever. You know, you think about the, that 2015 season where um, I think Julio Jones hit like 200 targets. Antonio Brown was 
over 180. Like we're not seeing that at this point anymore. Passing games are much more spread out to where the third wide receiver on an offense can actually be pretty relevant if they throw the ball enough. You know, again, passing games are just more spread out. There's also more passes going to running backs. Um, You know, tight end is always a weird position, but you know, those positions are involved as well too. So there's, there are definitely more wide receiver options. And I think that is of course, because the league is more pass happy than ever. However, Man, uh, you know, I'm getting back into prospect work, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus, with reception perception. You know, right now I got I got Jamar Chase over here on the other screen. I'm going to finish him up today and, and start moving down the list a little more. Um, but at the same time, I've also been going back into the the RP databases with prospects. And, dude, you go back to that, like, 2016, 2017 draft class. There are some ugly, <laughs> ugly names that were, like, wide receiver 10 that year. You know, I'm talking about, like, Ardarius Stewart. Oh. Um, Malachi Dupree, uh, Carlos Henderson. Uh, you know, man, I love Carlos Henderson, by the way. Sharon <laughs> uh, Sh- Peak. Um, and those are just like the depth names. And we know all those bigger busts like Corey Coleman, Josh Doxton, Laquan mm-hmm. Treadwell. Um, you know, Pharaoh Cooper was a guy people were really into. Those were bad wide receiver classes. And I think most people thought 2018 and 2019 would be similarly weaker classes. But man, like the stars of today and tomorrow really did come from that 2019 class. And 2018, I think, has been underrated too. Like a lot of people thought that this was just going to be a, a, a crop of like wide receiver two type of guys. But Cortland Sutton's someone that people forget about because he was injured last year. Calvin Ridley, I think, is legit ready to be a top 10 receiver in the league. But make your like try to list out like the top 10 receivers in the NFL. It's hard. Like there's a lot of really good players at the position and that doesn't even touch on the 2020 class, which I think was everything it was hyped up to be. Like there was a lot of really good rookies that came from that class, including one guy in Justin Jefferson, who I think played like a top 10, top 15 individual wide receiver in his own right as a rookie. And like the rest of those guys could get better. So I do think the last three draft classes have beefed up and flushed the position with talent but you're right in saying also that it is more spread out than ever, and that's going to change the way guys produce in the league as well. So that, that brings me to a question I, I really just thought about, and I, I hate to put this in the atmosphere, but you know, far be it from me to run away from a bad idea at any point. Um, <clears throat> in a world where people talk about running backs being replaceable, yep. Mm-hmm. Are we headed that way with why if there are so many wide receivers, and there's so many good ones and there seem to be more. I mean, look at this class. You talk about Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and you know, go on and on and on down this list. Um, are we are we frightfully heading toward that point where suddenly wide receiver becomes and, and this has nothing to do with fantasy. This is more, I think, real yeah. football. But where you know we're talking about, well, why would why would you pay this guy a big contract? Because you can just go out and draft another guy and pay him far less. I feel like I feel like we're headed that direction too with wide receiver, and it, it scares me and makes me a little sad. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. It's it's on my radar as well, and I think the market this year showed us exactly how it's going to go. Which is, and I know that this is a weird salary cap year, so maybe me trying to learn lessons from this is is stupid and <laughs> foolish. But um, just let's let's play this out for a second. You know, guys that were clear cut number two wide receivers didn't get that big time money. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster went back to his team. I think he's a clear-cut number two. Um, you know, Will Fuller is is probably a two that also had. He's played like he played like a one last year, but he had a lot of he has a lot of questions. Right? He only ended up getting a one-year deal. That wide receiver market was more depressed. Even Corey Davis, like people look at the Corey Davis contract, like uh, contract, like oh, he got a lot of money, but like he's about the twentieth highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. Like that's pretty. That's fine for a number two receiver. Those guys weren't paid that big, big money teams didn't get aggressive for them. Um, just like I, th- and it's, it's a much more drastic situation at running back, but like, you know, nobody on the, on the running back market got paid except the Packers found a way to pay Aaron Jones. Um, <laughs> just like the giants found a way to pay Kenny Galladay. And, you know, I thought the whole narrative that guys like Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin saw the wide receiver market and like, Oh, let me go sign that franchise tag right away. I think that's stupid because let me tell you what, if Allen Robinson hit the market, if Chris Godwin hit the market, teams would find a way to pay mm-hmm. those guys. Like I think great players at wide receiver will still get paid, but I wonder about a team in Dallas last year that, that looked at Amari Cooper and they gave him 
like, you know, the $22 million per year deal. I wonder if they regret that a little bit because then they turn around and draft a first round wide receiver who played well. They still have Michael Gallup in there. And I'm not saying they they would be a better team without Amari Cooper. Just like I think it's kind of crazy to argue that the Packers would be a better team without Aaron Jones. Like I think having Aaron Jones moves the needle for them, but it's just a question of how much. And I think teams at the you know free agent market is one thing but then at the, i think it, it's really gonna like the rubber's gonna hit the road in the draft where you know a team like miami at the sixth overall pick that where they trade back up to i think they clearly did that to to put themselves in a position to take a pass catcher but if i'm them i'm gonna take kyle pitts there even if i love chase i love smith um, I'm going to take the guy to, at a rarer position to find where I think they can get another wide receiver to pair with Parker and Fuller for this year. I think they can get that guy probably in the second or third round. If the Dolphins draft Kyle Pitts, that would cure me of my late round Mike Gasicki uh, addiction. That would you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Mike Gasicki is their slot receiver, man. Like all he does, he never he never lines up at that true tight end position. He's always out there. Um, in the slot like he's basically their their Wes Welker just you know the giant just version big, of it huge right? right like if I guarantee you if Mike Gusecki got a franchise tag Marcus his reps would 100% be at the negotiating table like look at this look at the numbers man look at where this guy lines up like he's a wide receiver you have to tag him at the wide receiver number so uh, it's good it's fine both those guys both those guys can be all right sweet all right cool then that means i'm gonna once again draft mike gasicki in like the 10th round and then in week four yeah, and be like, why did i do this why did me I too <laughs> so um so i want to get your thoughts just on a few of the the guys who did sign in free agency just you kind of your quick like is this good bad or as you would say is it meh um you mentioned kenny galladay i felt like after like a few days of free agency, I realized that I feel like the fantasy community valued Kenny Galladay a lot higher than I think the rest of the NFL did. But he does land in New York with the Giants. I saw it was kind of immediately like, eh, it's, it's fine. I mean, are you do you feel any differently? Is this good, bad, indifferent? How are you on this one? Yeah, I think it's a good move for the Giants because I think he puts like the finishing touch on their wide receiver core. But, you know, I remember going into the free agency process when it was clear that the the Giants wanted to add a receiver. Everybody was pushing like, you know, a receiver to the Giants. My question with the Giants, because, you know, Marcus, this is something I've realized, too, you know, and maybe I should have realized this earlier. But, you know, by spending all this time with wide receivers, I'm inherently spending a lot of time with quarterbacks, right? And <laughs> after a while, when when you when you figure out which wide receiver like thrives with the quarterback and and which uh, type of which which type of wide receiver does the quarterback gravitate to, you start to figure out a few things about the quarterback. I always come back to two examples: one, uh, Jared Goff and Cooper Cup. Uh, I think Jared Goff loved to throw to Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup was always schemed open really well against these zone coverage looks like. Uh, Jared Goff wants to see that guy open and throw it to him. He doesn't want to anticipate <laughs> a lot of things. He doesn't want to, you know, have to go through the whole process of the play. This is a very much like, you know, Sean McVay in his ear ahead of time. Like, hey, Jared, uh, Jared, pay attention to me. Uh, Cooper's going to be open, you know. Uh, it's going to be open because I've got him get to this. Like, you start to learn about a quarterback that way. Same with um, – with Michael Crabtree, when he went from San Francisco to Oakland, uh, that was a, one of the early reception perception hits. Like, you know, because I don't think he fit with the type of quarterback that Colin Kaepernick had developed into at that point of his career. But Derek Carr, for all of his flaws, he's very good as a timing anticipation passer and a guy that's a crafty, you know, physically declining type of route runner uh, as Michael Crabtree was at that point in his career. Those two guys jived really well together. So, like I said, when you when you figure out what type of receiver a, a quarterback likes, you kind of start to figure out a few things about the quarterback. I say all this to, to, to the point that when we were trying to match make receivers to New York, I'm like, I don't know about you, Marcus, but I feel like I still don't really know, like, what are Daniel Jones right. as a passer? <laughs> like, he's definitely – he's tough as hell. He'll sometimes, to a fault, like, stand back there in the pocket and take that hit. Um, and I think that's a. I think obviously the mobility is a plus part to him, but I don't really know who Daniel Jones is as a passer. So I'm always kind of like I'm not sure which wide receiver is really going to be great for him. That said, take stupid thing to say, but take the quarterback out of it for a second. <laughs> this receiver core is really well set up because I think 
Galladay might not be a true number one receiver, but I think he's right on the fringe of that conversation. I think if he had had a great season in 2020, it's like I think 2019, he was underrated, really good. You know, people talk about him as if he's like a Kelvin Benjamin type of separator. I think he's better. Than, like, I think he's, like I said, right on the fringe of that true number one receiver mold. Had he stacked two great seasons back to back, we'd probably all agree he's in that conversation. But um, for now, he's their number one, uh, a great deep threat X receiver that I think could also work the middle of the field. Slayton is a a really solid, like sort of on that Marvin Jones career path where he can get deep, he can win 50-50 balls, but he should be a number two receiver for sure. Uh, And Sterling Shepard's a slot receiver that I've always really liked. And they have some interesting options at tight end and Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph and obviously Saquon Barkley coming back. This skill position group in New York looks really good. We just have questions about the offensive coordinator. And the quarterback, so that that's those, where it's like, how much big questions, though. Yeah. Pretty, big, pretty big questions. Those pretty are big, big questions. questions. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, you mentioned the Dolphins, right? Will Fuller going there? On I was like this on the surface. I looked at that and I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, does Tua throw the ball deep enough? And yeah, you look, you actually look at his his air yards per target. It was higher than I anticipated it being. I also went back and watched some of his games in that last full healthy season he had at Alabama. Uh, And there, he was not afraid to throw the ball downfield. So I'm starting to maybe change my tune about Will Fuller in Miami. Um, Do you like it? And does it, do you like it less if they draft a wide receiver this year? Um, I think it's good for Tua. Like all of these guys, I'm not sure that any of them outside of uh, Curtis Samuel, I'm like itching to draft this year. Right. But I think it's, but I think it's good for the offenses and, 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 sometimes the quarterbacks that they're going to, you know, we just talked about Daniel Jones, right? Like I think Daniel Jones is being set up to like quote B this year's Josh Allen. It's just whether he's actually good enough, right? Like the team has done enough to make his life easier. I love that the dolphins are doing the same thing here, making to his life easier because, you know, Parker's a great 50, 50 ball receiver, but he's not a great separator. I think fuller wins Across the route tree, I think he can win on those slant routes that Tua's great at throwing in terms of anticipation there. You know, he's another guy that I think is can, can be that timing rhythm passer when he's at his best. Um, you know, with Fitzpatrick last year, like obviously always encouraging him to he's got to pull the trigger a little bit. He did not do that very often uh, as a rookie. I think that was probably Tua's biggest problem. But I still think it never gets talked about enough with Tua. Like this guy was legitimately coming back from what could have been a career ending injury. Like that hip situation was no joke. We were looking at him like, man, is this guy ever going to be able to walk again? And now, you know, we're trying to like, we're saying, well, five games in his rookie season, he hasn't played well, like time to move on, like (laughs) put him on the Josh Rosen plan. I like them giving him another chance. And again, I wouldn't hate it if they do draft another receiver, if they draft, because I think there's, there's more room to, to work with in this passing game. You just look at what Tua was playing with last year. It was rough. I mean, we're talking about Isaiah Ford off and on the roster. Um, Jakeem Grant is like potentially their number two target at different times. Mike Gusecki was okay, but he wasn't great. I think if you're looking at a situation where you've got Parker and Fuller as your top two receivers and a rookie in there, whether it's Kyle Pitts or another receiver, I think Tua is suddenly looking at a really good supporting cast. And I think that would be good, good news for him because I, I would love to see him make it this year. Um, again, probably not itching to draft anyone from this offense in fantasy. Just, I mean, we have to see where they want to go. But I do like the way it's setting up right now. I do think the point, though, you mentioned, and, and I think I've, I've talked about it with, with Michael F. Florio on this show about the hip injury and how serious that – I mean, this, this was the same hip injury that low many years ago – essentially ended Bo Jackson's football career. Obviously, medicine has come a long way since then, and so that's why we see Tua back on the field. But I do think it's very premature when he has a couple of games that aren't great. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert is balling out for the Chargers, and everybody's like, we should have drafted Justin Herbert. It's like, well, let's let's give it a minute before before we make these pronouncements. Um, So you sort of let me in on how you feel about Juju. Uh, this is the part, though, where I stand back and let you wax poetic about Curtis Samuel going to the football team. Yeah, to be clear, like, you know, Juju, it's probably a smart decision for him, right? Like, you know, don't move, whatever. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You could go back and forth. But <laughs> on on Curtis Samuel uh, to the Washington football team, I mean, I love this move. And this is a, this is a great example of 
just because we saw him hit in this gadget role last year doesn't mean he can't be a true receiver because he was playing with Kyle Allen in 2019. Um, man, I think Samuel can do it all. I think he can win as a true wide receiver. Obviously, they're going to do some creative things with him, whether it's the jet sweeps, like sometimes have him play running back. I actually think him and Antonio Gibson could be, you know, like sometimes you line Samuel up in the backfield and you line uh, Antonio Gibson in the slot. But I think they can do a lot of creative things there. I also just love Fitzpatrick as the point guard of this offense because, you know, you're looking at two guys in Samuel and McLaurin. I think, I think McLaurin Marcus is like ready to take that superstar leap. I think mm-hmm. he could be a true alpha number one receiver. You know, I was excited to draft him in the fourth round of fantasy last year as like the aggressive move. And, you know, that was, that was an okay situation, but I think having Fitzpatrick or, you know, even Taylor Heineke, who's like, you know, Fitzpatrick, but younger and not as good, but <laughs> <laughs> like same sort of reckless abandoned style, which is why Taylor is always hurt. Um, I, I think that's just such a big upgrade from what they had last year with like what's left of Alex Smith and obviously Dwayne Haskins um, who just really couldn't run that offense at all the way they wanted him to. Uh, I, I really, I, look, I'm, I'm finding it hard to not be like so bullish about this Washington offense, which I know is going to, I probably stupid. It's probably not going to work out, but man, it is, it is hard to not get excited when you look at them on paper again, Fitzpatrick, like as that, that, buffer for fantasy quarterbacks like he's going to beef up production for your wide receivers he's going to beef up production for your passing game we've just seen that over the last three to five years of his career he's been a big boost for fantasy pass catchers and McLaurin I think is a guy that's ready to take that leap I think Samuel is an ideal number two receiver that can get open at all levels but also do some of the gadget stuff and hey the pride of Lynchburg Virginia Logan Thomas I think is ready for (laughs) He sort of had that poor man's Darren Waller type leap to him last year that I think he could be sort of in the same way as like their slot receiver uh, guy. They could add more pieces in the draft too, but just on paper right now, this is an offense that I'm excited to like j- j- draft a bunch of players from the football team, which is, I never thought I'd be weird. saying that. Let me tell you what, it's weird. It's, we, we haven't said that in a long time, uh, if ever, but <laughs> here, here we are. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild year. The pandemic's done them crazy things to all of us. Um, so staying in the DMV, if we will. Uh, look, I know nobody's really excited to draft Sammy Watkins. He'll give you a huge week one, and then who knows what's going to happen after that. But just sort of what this means for Lamar Jackson and and the and you know our 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 good pal Patrick Claibon, who is arguably one of the Ugh. biggest Lamar Jackson stands out there. I know he had a little bit of heartburn when he saw this move. Um, what does this mean? And this can't be it, right? Like the Ravens still have to be looking at maybe drafting a wide receiver at some point, right? Poor, poor Patrick Claiborne. <laughs> I saw him, I saw him getting his hopes up about like Kenny Galladay or Alan Robinson, <laughs> you know, back in like February. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, it's not going to happen. It's not, <laughs> not, not going to happen. And I think, you take the like the Lamar part again, take it out of it because I think I do think there's something to the narrative that receivers probably don't want to go play for for Baltimore. And it might not be because they might love Lamar Jackson. I think players do love Lamar Jackson, but they probably don't like the run to pass ratio mm-hmm. in Baltimore. You know, how many targets are you realistically gonna get if you're Allen Robinson or you're Kenny Galladay, especially you know, take those guys out of it too, because some of these players that were signing like one year prove it deals, you know, if you're Juju and like they gave, I think Juju would have been like a perfect fit where really the the perfect fit for Baltimore was Chris Godwin, but obviously he was never going to get on the market. (laughs) Juju sort of is like the, in my opinion, like ultra poor man's version of Chris Godwin, but like they Mm -hmm. run the routes in the same area of the field. Um, They're both really tough, physical, good blockers. I think, he would have been a good fit there theoretically. But if you're Juju, you're like, well, this offense that I was in last year, I'm familiar with. We, we, we throw the ball way too much. Would I rather take a <laughs> one year deal here and just not move and be familiar? Or would I rather go get like 80 targets in Baltimore? Cause that's probably the best you're looking at on a one year prove a deal. It doesn't make sense unless you're Sammy Watkins and you, you have a lot to prove. Right. Um, and you're just kind of maybe ring chasing at this point and, and, Baltimore is still a really good team in the AFC. So I think Baltimore is not done at the position. I would be surprised if they don't take another couple pass catchers in the draft. Cause you know, I think Hollywood Brown can still be a good player. He probably shouldn't be your number one receiver, but I think he can be 
a really I like the way they started to get him on some layup routes uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of last year, you know, because I think he is an underrated technician, number one. But also I think you know, Greg Roman and like that Baltimore coaching staff was just kind of over obsessed with trying to work the deep ball right. when your quarterback's best the best part of him as a passer, because I think it would be disingenuous to, to pretend that Lamar Jackson hasn't always had a bit of a problem throwing deep and outside the numbers. Like those were the same questions that were on his scouting report coming into the NFL. So it's fair to say that's not the strength of his game, but I think he's great at working the middle of the field and like matriculating the offense that way. Like Hollywood Brown can run some of those routes, but I would love to see them also add another big body receiver to do that type of stuff. And that's where I think a big slot type of player would be a really good fit for them. I will say I did start to buy more into Marquise Brown late in the season when it looked like the Ravens coaching staff was like, oh, hey, maybe we should have him do other things instead of just run verts all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so at that point, I kind of be like, oh, okay, you know, now I get it. Now I can maybe, you know, understand what where the excitement is coming from. Um, so, I mean, obviously, since I have known you, you, you have been working on reception perception for a very long time. I will say that when 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 we first thought about bringing you out from you know, from West Virginia to Los Angeles, <laughs> um, I mean, part of is you know, part of what what Alex Elhar and I first knew about you was reception perception. Uh, I have been so happy to see it grow. Uh, to the point that now, you know, you have uh, you have built your own thing. You got your own website now. You're, you've, you've kind of you've jumped off the cliff and are, are flying on your own. So I'm super happy for you, super proud of you. I, I got to first ask, like, I mean, when when you first decided this, I mean, how did this how did this seed grow into the tree that it is now? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff that we've been talking about uh, on the podcast, which is, again, we know wide receiver production is so inherently tied to all of these other variables. Basically, that was the big question that I had about football. And, you know, wanting to turn covering football into a career when you are um, me, who (laughs) I'm still a nobody, but I was definitely a nobody back then, right? Like I I was a sociology student in a one-bedroom apartment in Lynchburg, Virginia. Virginia, Virginia, not West Virginia. For the new people people out there who might not be familiar with this bit, I am not from West Virginia. I'm from the great state of Virginia, uh, representing the – Appalachian Trail here, which does go through West Virginia. Too. Now I'm not really, I'm not really doing, <laughs> not really doing myself any any favors. But point is, you know, I was sitting there and like trying to figure out how could I break into this very crowded space when I didn't, you know, play in the NFL. Uh, I don't have media connections at all. Um, I thought the smartest thing to do was to try to answer the biggest question that I had about football. My big question about football is when we're sitting there on Sundays and these receivers run off the screen, what, what are they doing? You know, what's going on? Cause again, how are we evaluating them when, when like I said earlier, receivers lucky to get, get 10 targets in a game, but there's, you know, 60 to 70 offensive plays in a game or something like that. Someone should be like, charting that out someone should be trying to quantify this qualitative thing of like this guy's a great route runner or or this these receivers don't get any separation for this quarterback I was like somebody should be trying to go in and measure that so I just decided to be that that somebody um and and dedicate the absurd amount of time that it takes to do (laughs) that it takes to do just that well you know it's the other part of that too is that you know for all these years when you watch football and as you say the receivers run off the screen the best part is that every wide receiver will tell you that he was probably open on that specific play oh yeah um, and you know like for if you're just you know the average fan watching television you can't refute that because you don't ever see them once they leave the right. screen uh so this yeah. this kind of this kind of stands to do that now if i'm not mistaken funny funny story on on that on that yeah. specific point um the video on the homepage of receptionperception.com is a, is a little chat I had with Stefan Diggs. Um, and it, it's like a, it's a throwback to our very first conversation. The first time that we met, cause we've talked several times over the years and um, I, he, he likes to say we're best friends, but I, we're, we're, you know, we're just, don't push it, Stefan. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he was basically like, at this event uh, for, for Yahoo or whatever, uh, when I first started back in the, the summer of 2018. So he's coming off that 
Minneapolis miracle uh, moment when Stefan like sort of first started to hit the scene as a, as a well-known NFL player. And I told him, I said, I was like, Hey, I do this series called reception perception. It's on video. Like I a series called reception perception where I chart, you know, uh, route running and try to evaluate that. Um, and you were the best player against man coverage from the 2017 season. Like, you know, what's your reaction on that? And he was basically like, yeah, you know, receivers lie and uh, say that they're, they're, they're always open, but he's like, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. So I think you got, you're on the right track, but there's a fun video. People want to go like, check that out. But yeah, you're right. Like receivers are always uh, saying they're, they're open hundred percent of the time. Nobody's open hundred percent of the time. But um, And that's another thing too. Like I have, now that I've studied this for seven NFL seasons, there's, there's no doubt that there's a correlation to getting open and being a successful wide out. Like just because you're, you don't have a high success rate versus man coverage score doesn't mean you're not good, but um, you can still produce it just about finding the right role for you. Um, you know, there's play, a Cooper cups, a great example. We talked about Juju, like these guys line them up in the slot and you don't have to worry about the fact that they can't get off press man coverage. Like they'll figure you figure out a way to get players in the right position. But what we have noticed over the years studying uh, these metrics and reception perception is that if you're good in this series, if you're over that 80th, 85th, 90th percentile, at some point you're going to have a successful NFL season. Uh, there are very few guys that we're holding, you know, holding out for in terms of, uh, you know, Anthony Miller probably never going to break out, but that might be the only one. <laughs> um, was Cordero Patterson the first one? Was that, was that your first evaluation? Yes. And the, no. So actually the first one was Jordy Nelson. Uh, the okay. second one was Cordero Patterson. And this is, that's such a, a fun story to bring up because, you know, if you go back to like backyard banter, uh, those days doing Ooh, reception, man. perception there. Yeah. The, the real throwback that Cordero Patterson article is, is very like, Hey, this is a guy we should be excited about because he had a, about a 49% success rate versus man coverage. Like that's almost 50%. That's, that's, that's pretty good. And now, like, that was the, the literally the second player I ever fully profiled, right? Now that I've got over 280 in the database, um, we know that 49% is horrible. Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's not good. That is an indication of, of, a, of a, a Marquise Lee type of guy who is you're probably – or a Kelvin Benjamin going to wash why, out of the why, league. Why did you have to bring up Marquise Lee? Why did you, you have to do that? I'm sorry. You know I had to do that. Um, <laughs> history, we're talking history and traditions here, Mark. That must uh, be. But you know we're talking about guys that, like, yeah, are probably never going to be that good in the league. And you know, shout out to Cordero Patterson, uh, running back. Uh, hey man, I mean, look, he's he's made a name for himself as a kick returner. He's been great as a legitimately a kick like returner. one of the best kick returners to ever live. So yeah. So I mean, you know, he's figured out a way to to make a living in the NFL without a doubt. Um. So I mean, <laughs> the, you have the new site which looks, which looks great, receptionperception.com. Uh, for folks who are subscribers, what, what sort of things can they expect from you? Yeah, basically, um, if you're familiar with reception perception, all of the things that you are used to getting, um, you're going to get those, but, but more, um, my, my partner and I will be releasing the, uh, subscriber, you should, you can, like you can make partner is right i mean we we all know we all know who he yeah. is you can you can yeah, it's james james co my my good my good my, my good good pal james co uh and i will be releasing like the exact subscriber pricing and like exactly what you get out of each one but you know based on where you purchase in is is how much access you'll get to this data if you brought if you buy the top tier packaging i won't reveal all the fun names we've got for them but those those will come. <laughs> um you know you can get access to the all of the reception perception players I've ever charted, like ever in the database, going back to 2014. Um, you know, when you just buy like the basic package, you'll get profiles for every rookie and NFL player that I've charted. Um, you'll get sortable data tables where you can see, like literally sort for yourself, who's the best against man coverage, who's the best against press, zone, uh, who's the best at running the nine route, all that stuff. So basically – Anything you're used to getting with reception perception, you're going to get that and more. Um, I think the profiles on the site are easier to digest than ever. Um, you can simply like go in there and be like, okay, I don't need to go through all these data tables. Like I'm sure there's some dork that would love to do that, <laughs> but let me pay the basic package price and just go see like, okay, what does Matt think about Curtis Samuel or, you know, freaking Larry Fitzgerald at this point or something like that. Everybody will be in there. There's going to be, there's going to be more players charted than ever. And the biggest thing right now is uh, rookies will be on the site uh, by, by the NFL draft. There will be at least 10 rookies uh, profiled and, and it is an exciting, fun class. So I think people are going to dig it. 
So I have I have a legacy idea. This is this is big picture down the road, not not any, anything I would expect soon. But what I would love and and I'm just throwing out the idea. I'm not giving you the details on how to do it because it seems hard. Um, <laughs> I'm just a big picture guy here. I would love to see like a legacy reception perception section where maybe every year you release one guy, right? Where you'd go back and you dig through a particular season, right? Where you're like Calvin Johnson's 2012 year when he just missed yeah. 2000 receiving yards or, you know, J- one of Jerry Rice's big seasons where you can some, if you can somehow, and I, look, I know you're you know, trying to get 16 games of that is going to be tough, but if there's a way to do that, I think that would be a fun thing to do. Again, this is way down the road. This is an idea you can keep in your back pocket for the future. But I just think, I think, you know, I think what made me think of this, I remember uh, the year Christian McCaffrey uh, was was in the draft. I feel like me, you, and, and Alex Gelhar started talking about Ed McCaffrey. And both Gelhar and I were like, you would have loved Ed McCaffrey. I think, like, <laughs> we, we felt like he would have done well in the RP metrics. Um, yeah. And so I feel like, you know, that's a that's a it's an idea you can put in your back pocket and use it down the road once you guys are uh, up and, and completely established and successful. Actually, I mean, like all great ideas, I've already had this idea. No, uh, but <laughs> that was actually something, dude, when I was worried about, you know, coronavirus, like canceling the football season. I thought like I wonder because I, you know, was thinking at that point, like what if about potentially launching a site or something like that, um, like if things went this certain way or that certain way with different contracts and stuff like that. Like what would I do um, if there was no receivers to, to chart? Cause there was no 2020 season. And like, why would anybody pay for the old <laughs> data from 2019 that they already, for the most part saw, like everyone knew I liked Terry McLaurin or <laughs> Deontay Johnson. Like what, what, what's the, what's the incentive for folks to buy into that? Um, one idea I had was like, Oh yeah, spend that time and like go back and chart some like sort of an I love the RP legacy uh part of it. Like the only thing is Marcus and you elitists there at the NFL network, um <laughs> not like those of us on the outside. You know, you guys have like footage uh through NFL Vision for like every game that's literally ever existed uh from like a coaching film perspective. Uh those of us on the outside with NFL Game Pass, which shout out to NFL Game Pass, okay? I couldn't do what I do without NFL Game Pass. Don't tell, don't tell uh, some of the shadowy league figures that I said that. But um, you know, like that—that's a—that only goes back like certain, certain how far, however far, like 2008, 2009, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there were some cool seasons to go through. Like, hey, Randy Moss is like you know last couple of years with the Patriots or uh, Calvin Johnson, like you said, great example. You know, To when he was like playing for the Bills, like some of them would have just been <laughs> weird or funny. But like, even a guy like Wes Welker, like I never charted Wes Welker during his time in the NFL. Um, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's like beginning peak years, like most of uh, Larry Fitzgerald's time during the RP era has been spent as that Bruce Arians big slot receiver. But like, what would Larry Fitzgerald, because I kind of think Jamar Chase sort of reminds me of an early career Larry Fitzgerald, but he's so good downfield. I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but I also don't know what early career Larry Fitzgerald would have looked like in reception perception because it just never existed. So um, yeah, like that, that is a fun idea. I think that some some people like a very small percentage of people would care about that, but that small percentage would be a lot of fun to go back and forth with. Absolutely. Like I said, I I would just release like one a year, right? It's like a special Easter egg or something for people. Um, And by the way, if you ever want uh, my Don Hudson charting data, I'm sure we can work out a deal. uh, Okay. Yeah. Um, Your people talk to my people. You know, <laughs> we'll make it happen. PR we'll make back it. and forth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so as I wrap this up, I gotta, you know, I just want to end with some some fun questions just to kind of pick your brain. I know that you and your lovely wife to be have become fanatics of the show Criminal Minds. So I have to ask you, what is the what is the best season of Criminal Minds so far? I'm so I'm so offended that you would out out that to um, <laughs> to your entire to your trillions and trillions of listeners here on the. Uh, <laughs> on the podcast but no uh yeah we have we you know it all started because uh there were i think i don't know if like that you guys got affected by this but there's one day definitely here in el segundo and marcus and i live relatively close to each other um like where our 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 wi-fi was out our um like cell phone internet was completely out 
uh, for like an entire day during the pandemic too. So it's like, oh my God. <laughs> you can't go anywhere either. Right? Yeah. 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 Also they can't like walk down the street and knock on neighbors doors and be like, Hey, open up your doors. Let me breathe in your face. And like, uh, <laughs> and tell me, is your internet working or whatever? But, um, so all we had was like DVDs and you know, I, I'm not a big movie guy. So like my DVD collection is, is, is sparse. Uh, so we started the second season of criminal minds and now we're like on the season, uh, an absurd amount that I won't say here. Um, probably just going to try to finish it, but, I had the best season. Um, it's, I would say it's like season four or um, season four or five, probably. Okay. You know, people people enjoy. Uh, I, I like Jason Gideon from the first couple of seasons, uh, for sure. You know, uh, that was, he was a great character. But I'm a big David Rossi guy, and when he gets on the show. Um, that is a uh, exciting, you know, it's unfortunate. There's a lot of men in that show that I feel like my fiance has got a thing for like, but mostly <laughs> like, like old, like old dads, like she's obsessed with Aaron Hotchner. That's a tough scene for me. I know he leaves the show at season, like season 12 or something, but yeah, I mean, I could go on and I could talk I year off about criminal. Minds, I mean, but you, you say she's into old dads. I mean, I've known you long enough to realize that that you're in there, dude. You're going to be fine. Like, you know, you've got yeah. an old, you've had an old dad vibe to you for a while, dude. So you're, you're well, number one, uh, how dare you? Number two, <laughs> uh, I am, I am turning 30 this year officially. So, so you're officially uh, washed now. It's over for you. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's totally over. I I've, I've like slid right into domesticated, um, life here and my God, it's what a, what a perfect fit. I, I wouldn't have said that, you know, three, four years ago, but my God, what a perfect fit. Are you kidding? Everything, everything I've known about you has been culminating to this, right? You've, you have worried since I met you that at some point you're going to lose your hair. You were a big part of plant Twitter for a long time. You were huge into Brussels sprouts. Like everything about you has been leading to this moment. So, um, it's a fair point. That's a surprise. Uh, all right. Last thing I'll let you go with, uh, if I put $10,000 on the table, $10,000 cold, hard cash, but you had to watch 24 hours straight of either Peyton Manning commercials or Baker Mayfield commercials, which would it be? This is I, when I saw this on the outline five minutes before the show started. When I was the outline. <laughs> As expected. As expected. Uh, I saw this question. I was like, this is the easiest question uh, of the entire program. It's obviously Baker Mayfield. Um, although I like, if it was for ten thousand dollars, I'd do. I'd, I'd. I'd take either one of the options, right? Like it's ten thousand dollars for twenty four hours of my life. That's fine. Who cares? Um, do I get? I so I just. I have to be awake though. That 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 could That's, be. You actually have to be, you know, an active participant. Right. And so I just wonder how. I, as you mentioned, getting older, how am I going to stay awake for twenty four straight hours? That could be a problem. But easily, the more entertaining option is Baker, and I think this is a probably a sign of you getting older too. I'm like kind of legit entertained by Baker Mayfield. His commercials like make me chuckle at least, you know, like the part where like how, who can, who can, excuse me, who can't relate to when he's clutching all the grocery bags and, and like he's trying to figure out how to open the door. <laughs> who hasn't been in that position? <laughs> yeah. Who, who has not been in that position? I find myself in that position all the time. So uh, I, I think the Baker Mayfield commercials are legit uh, enjoyable. 24 hours obviously would be, a bit of a nightmare, I mean, but you probably would, change your would, mind after 24 hours of them. You know? Oh yeah. Like 24 hours later, I better not see it. I better not see Baker Mayfield ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never watching Brown's football period. <laughs> oh man. Uh, pal, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you, whether it is on Slack or via a podcast or the rare chances in the last year when we've got to do it in person. Uh, hopefully those days are coming back again soon. And like I said, man, I'm so excited and proud and happy for you to see RP take off the way it has and excited for what you and James have to put together. Um, yeah, man, I just, I'm, I'm really, really happy for you. It's been a long time coming. It's great. Uh, I know people generally know if people who are listening to this podcast don't know where to find you, they're doing something wrong, but just in some weird universe where that happens, uh, where can folks find what you're doing? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Still rocking that underscore and BYB, <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh, obviously, a lot of my work's at Yahoo Sports. Uh, Yahoo Sports Fantasy Football Forecast, is, which is our podcast. 
It's a name, if you ask me. <laughs> and uh, receptionperception.com is where you'll find all the all the RP info and uh, obviously big things coming there soon. And MG, man, thanks for, so much for having me. It's always uh, it's always good to kick it around in a professional setting, even yeah. though, like you said, we we talk all <laughs> we talk all the time um, in our in our group Slack. Uh, it's it's great, man. I'm I'm happy for everything you've got going on too. Um, it's just, it's good to see the stronghold out there doing, doing things, man. It's, it's always good. Stronghold still holding strong, uh, after all these years. And I'd say I'd see you later, but I'm probably going to, you know, chat with you on Slack in about 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Of course. So of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see you there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in the meantime, for the rest of us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL fantasy football show. You know, the drill, tell two friends to tell two friends, rate review. And remember, if you only have one eye, are you blinking or winking? Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will talk to you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.